Thank you, Steve, so much, so much. You can grab your seats. I'm just going to get my notes figured out here a little bit, and then we're going to get started. <clears throat> so uh, just in regards to Steve's announcement, I'm, I'm hugely honored and humbled and have just so much enjoyed being a part of the student ministries under uh, David Schwinghammer and have learned so much. He's become uh, a close friend to me and uh, just delighted to, um, to be able to step into where he stood uh, and just believing God for great things, which brings me actually to this morning's message. Um, we're taking a dive into the, the Psalms. Our series this uh, over the summer has been Summer Playlist, Psalms for Your Soul. And we hope that you've been reading along and we've been, we've been reading together and we're hoping uh, that these, we can encounter different kinds of Psalms and how they're, they're intended to speak to us as a, as a congregation and as, a, as the Lord's people. Um, so I'm excited about that. Very excited about the word that the Lord has laid on my heart. If you're new and you've kind of been missing a lot of church, I'm going to do a little bit of a recap, and then I'll, I'll challenge you with some stuff, talk to you about some stuff, then we're just going to simply let God's word speak to us, uh, and then I'll wrap it up with a few thoughts, and close it down, and we'll have the band back up to play, and hopefully we'll have you out of here by noon, if that's okay with you guys. I'm making that commitment, so feel free to hold me to it, and just start walking out if I... If I go too long. Uh, so by way, of a, <clears throat> by way of a bit of a recap. So we started this journey song, uh, summer playlist four weeks ago. Uh, it started off with Kurt um, kicking the playlist off with a song of lament. Psalm 88. Who starts off a summer series with a lament? I don't know. Sometimes you just can't control the way these things happen. That's how it happened. Kurt did a fantastic job. You know, a song that is pouring out one's heart to God and a psalm where there is absolutely no resolve. In short, it was a bit of a bummer. Not Kurt's message, the psalm. Kurt did a fantastic job. An example of, of, of where Kurt said, you know, it's, it's where somebody's broken heart becomes your favorite song. I like that. I've totally experienced that. Uh, Kurt pointed out that there was uh, three healthy habits, habits that the psalmist employed. Uh, he said he cries out to God in prayer. He recognizes the sovereignty of God. And he appeals to God for change. Brilliant stuff. Fantastic psalm. If you're, if you're in a place of mourning or a tough time, I encourage you to take a visit to Psalm 88 and let it speak to your soul. If you need some help, you can catch a podcast online, hillcrestmj.com, you'll find it there. Then in week two, you guys, we moved from the song of lament into a song about thanksgiving, where Papa Moore, and I mean that with all respect, I love that man and the way that he's able to share with an amazing grace, and, and he's just like a father. He guided us through Psalm 138, a psalm of thanksgiving, where it becomes a gateway into thanksgiving. This challenge of living a life from a grateful heart all the time. Where thankfulness is our default setting. Again, if you missed it, grab it online. Fantastic message. Last week, we had a little bit of a, an intermission with Danny DeLong visiting uh, and speaking. And he talked to us, um, challenged us with this idea of not just always... Um, being cognitively aware of God's presence, but actually pressing into it, have an experience of God's abiding presence. One that we experience actually with our emotions and that we get caught up in. And he challenged us um, to invite that living presence of God into whatever situation 
that we're facing and let it speak to that. Again, Danny is absolutely amazing live. Next best thing, catch him on the podcast. He has a word to encourage you. This week, you guys, we're back here. We're Summer's Playlist, and we're sitting on the track that's going to be on repeat all morning is going to be Psalm 50. Uh, generally categorized, it's, it's known as a, a psalm of celebration and affirmation, which is exciting, right? Right? That's, that's, that's good news. That'll be, it'll be a good one. Before we get started, I just want to invite one more time just God's presence to be here with us. Heavenly Father, you are a great God. You are amazing. I thank you for all the hearts that you've gathered here today. I thank you, Lord, for the, the sense of worship that's in this house, the sense of, of awe of who you are. And Lord, I ask that that would continue, Lord, uh, in, the, in the verses we're going to be looking at, in the stories that are going to be told, in the challenges I'm going to put forth. Lord, it's all for nothing if you're not a part of it. So we ask for your spirit to be here. You are the great teacher. Would you teach us? Would you mentor us this morning? Would you be with us today? In Jesus' name, amen. I I decided to go with a handset because uh, I've had bad luck with a headset. And I thought that it might help rein me in a little bit because I typically talk with my hands and they're always going... But since I've been up here, I'm realizing I'm actually just doing double time with one hand. So I apologize. It's just, maybe it's nerves, whatever. Anyways, that's it. Anyways, I'd like to, I'd like to kick off with a, with a bit of a question. Have, have you ever agreed to something, made a commitment to do something, and then later on had some regrets about making that commitment? Yeah? Am I, am I talking to a guy? You know, where... Um, uh, I mean, it's, it's lots of things. It's from big things to small things. But one of the biggest things that sticks out in, in my mind about that is, uh, you know, as a teenager, uh, growing up at home, um, beginning to kind of like step out in my own independence and kind of make my own decisions. And my parents were great at letting me do that and fall flat on my face and learn some valuable lessons. One of those lessons was as I, I came across this document, and it's right in line with our, with our, uh, our theme here because it's about music. And here, this, this ad was telling me that I could buy one cassette tape at regular price and then pick up to 11 more cassette tapes for free. I was like, this is awesome. I had my ghetto blaster. I'm like, this is the deal of lifetime. I filled it out, picked out my songs, sent it away. They all showed up, and I'm like jamming out to music. Most of it was country, um, just because I grew up on a farm, but you know, just loving this. And what I didn't really realize or what I didn't, what I should have paid a little bit more attention to is the fine print that says, you know, over the next year, you also need to buy up to four more tapes at regular price. And I, I just, you know, I didn't really pay attention to that. And so as time went on, you know what, the tapes got old. And, and to be honest, it was just bad timing because it was like literally within months, I had a CD player. And so, like, tapes were not going to be doing me any good. CDs were the new thing. So I kind of just went on living my life and, and in the end kind of came to sort of regret having made that decision. You know, it's the little things, like, sometimes, sometimes it shows up in weird ways. Like, sometimes you make, you make, like, a play date or a coffee date and you think, man, yeah, it's really great. You're really looking forward to getting together with these people. But then as the week goes on and you keep looking at your calendar and that reminder keeps popping up, all of a sudden somehow your weeks become really crazy busy. And for whatever reason, you're, you're continually being reminded and you're, like, not looking forward to it as much, but you don't feel like you can get out of it. Maybe, maybe it's that new car or that new truck that you've bought. You know, the first couple of payments, 
Oh, it's worth every penny, isn't it? That smell, the crispness of the leather, if you can afford that. I'd just be a cloth seat guy probably. But, you know, how it feels. And, and, and like new cars are so clean, right? So clean. And then after, you know, the first few months of payments, all of a sudden you're like, ah, the novelty wears off a little bit. And you're like, really? That much of my check is going towards this vehicle? And, it, and you kind of have a little bit of a twinge of, of regret. I mean, me and Pastor Steve, we only ever use used cars, so we don't ever have to worry about that. But, but I have a friend that, that was uh, lamenting to me about this very thing, actually this summer, saying, you know what, he just had to have the latest model. So he went out, and he just had to have it, and he bought it. And then he said, you know, a few months in, the novelty wore off, and he's like, you know what, my old vehicle was getting me around just fine, and I, I kind of kind of have some regrets about that. Maybe you're there. You know, we, we all have experiences similar to that, Right? Where we agree to things and then the follow-through is hard. You know, like, like giving up on Facebook or Netflix. You know, it sounds like a good idea and you know you should probably take a little bit of a break. But then nighttime comes and you're bored and it's like, ah, I don't, you know, I don't feel like working out or I don't feel like doing something else. And we experience that, that space of, of kind of regret and confliction of not really being too sure what to do. And then in my case, you know, there's all those reminders of all those commitments. You know, whether it's the pop-ups or it's the, the monthly car payments. For me, it was those letters as a kid. They kept coming and coming and coming and saying, you owe, you owe, you owe. And I just kept thinking, nah, forget it. Like, what are they going to do? Like, tapes are out. Don't they know CDs are the new things? This is no good to me. And then all of a sudden, a big reminder came in. Phone call comes into the house. Makes it super awkward as my mom answers it. And she says... Who's calling? And she gets this real concerned look on her face. She puts the phone down and she says, Chris, there's a telephone call here for you. And I was like, walked up and I just seen this look on her face. I was like, what is this? Pick up the phone. It's a collection agency. I'm like, what? Anyways, and the guy was, the guy was pretty stern on the other end. He made, like, on no uncertain terms, I was responsible to pay what the contract that I had signed. It was in the fine print. If I didn't understand it, it was my own fault. And that, you know, he was going to keep hounding and calling. And, he, you know, he'd already spoken to my mom, so I kind of felt like I was on the line already. So, um, I mean, I just caved instantly. I said, what do I need to do? How much do I owe? Check, done, gone. A big wake-up moment for me. You know, funny, maybe it's something like a job commitment where you find yourself in at a job and you're, you know, you were really passionate and excited about it, but then somewhere along the line, it's, the luster seemed to lose itself a little bit and you're just kind of trying to figure out what you're supposed to be doing. Have you ever, have you ever felt like that, like, even in your marriage? I mean, the state of marriages across this country is, is really in a crisis state where, you know, people don't stay married for too long. And this idea of going the long haul, it, it takes hard work. And sometimes we get there and we, we go, man, ah, I don't have the same sort of enthusiasm about this as I once did. So what do we do? Or maybe, what about your relationship with God where sometimes you feel like, man, I felt like God was leading me somewhere or speaking to me really clearly, and now it just doesn't, it doesn't seem like it's there. It doesn't seem like quite the same, doesn't seem like the same kind of life-giving thing. What's, what's going on? And if you're feeling like that, I want to encourage you that you're in really good company. I feel like that often. 
And you know what? If you look at the scriptures like we're going to this morning, you find out that you're in pretty good company there too. Take Israel, for instance. This nation that God chose, man, they, they made an art out of disobeying. They, they took it to the next level. They were classically always getting sidetracked in terms of what God had told them to do. You read through their story at the Old Testament, and it's filled with countless times where this chosen people by God seemed to get it wrong than they did, more than they did right. But, do you know what the best part is? Aren't you glad that God understands how we can be in that position and that he actually wants to help us out? He actually wants to encourage us. And he's actually outlined some things that are intended to help bring us through. And I'd like to look at those this morning. Track number 50. While it's a psalm of celebration and affirmation, it is more specifically a psalm about covenant renewal. You know, it seems in the life of Israel that there were, there were times where they annually revisited their, their commitments that they'd made before the Lord. And it seems that Psalm 50 was either the psalm or one of the psalms that they gravitated to the most uh, to help them navigate a renewed sense of covenant renewal. I'm convinced that, that God can use this psalm in our situations as well. And it's, it's really neat because it's laid out sort of like a song. And sort of like, you know how there's three verses to a song? Well, this one has kind of three sections. And each one holds kind of like a principle or an idea. I think that's meant to help us walk through in faithfulness and to experience a renewed sense of covenant, covenantal commitment. So, in keeping with the theme of our, of our, of our series, um, Summer Playlist, we... I tried to kind of, when I was doing my studying, I, I realized, you know what, you kind, of miss, you kind of miss everything the Psalms have to offer if you don't enter into the reality that they're talking about. And the reality is, is that these Psalms are not just, they're not even just poems that we have. They're actually songs, songs that people sing. And, and songs, while the lyrics, simply reading the lyrics would appeal to us on a, on a cognitive level, Man, the music that accompanies a song is meant to get right to our soul. It's meant to move us. And if you're having a hard time understanding what I'm, what I'm, what I'm talking about, it's kind of like, it's like if you work out or you run, there's a big difference between waking up in the morning to, to static, getting your running shoes on or your work, workout shoes on, going to the gym and working out, versus you wake up. Your eyes softly open. The sun's coming in through the window. You hit play. An eye of the tiger comes on the radio. Okay? I don't know. Like, I, I, don't, I think they've banned that song from gyms. Because everybody's in there, you know, pushing out squats. That song comes on. Everybody's throwing 50 more pounds on what they're doing. Right? They're like, that song just pumps you up and gets you into it. And you're like, yes, yes, yes. Well, I feel like in some ways it's a bit of a disservice to us that the Psalms don't have music accompanied to them. But that doesn't mean we can't read them with sort of a level of intensity and in knowing that they're meant to appeal to our emotions in a similar way. Songs are powerful. Think about, um, I think about 
just the other day, a song came on. My brother and I were driving around. And instantly, I was like, what does this song remind you of? And he said, our buddy Corey, who has a really old, like, 64 Chevy truck. And we used to go and cruise around with him. And he was listening. I think it was a song by Oasis. I can't remember exactly what it was. But every time I hear that song, I'm back in that truck, hanging out with Corey and my brother, cruising the back roads. And, like, songs have a, have a way of bringing us back and moving us. They're powerful. Probably the best thing I could suggest to you this morning before we jump into this psalm is that this, this psalm to me represents sort of a wedding song. Okay, now everybody who's not married just went boring and checked out and some, the rest of you are mildly entertained or amused. So I think, I think if you had to pick one psalm out of the book of Psalms to be the wedding song of God with the nation of Israel, I think it would be Psalm 50. And it got me kind of thinking, it got me thinking about uh, my wedding song. You know, the, the, the song that my wife walked down the aisle to. And honestly, every time I hear that song, it's cool how it kind of takes me back to that, to that place. Of like her walking down the aisle and like not a, not a dry eye in the place. And like, you know, just the really, the, the emotional kind of like the, the climax of like getting married. And, and everyone's there and you're celebrating this wedding day. It's a huge event takes me back. And now when I listen, when that song comes on the radio, I, I kind of like shake my head because I realize, man, like our wedding was super sappy, like ridiculously sappy, like over the top sappy. And it kind of makes me laugh a little bit now because I go back and I, that song takes me back, but it, it, it's reflective of a love that has grown and changed a lot over the years. Not that it's, not that it's gotten, um, not that it's gotten worse, but that it's actually deepened and gotten more rich. And there's occasional sappy moments now, but our whole, like, I literally could not have survived if our whole life was going to be kind of that sappy in the days leading up to our wedding, right? But that's not, what I'm saying is that song takes me back there. And I think that Psalm 50 is a great wedding song between God's covenant with Israel and himself. So, so let's jump right in. So time, time is ticking away. If you would like, uh, turn uh, on your phones or in your Bibles. We're kind of going to be walking through Psalm 50, okay, this morning? Now the neat thing about this is that this psalm is that, I'll come back to this at the end, but there's kind of this corporate nature of this psalm and then also this, this personal nature to this song, both of which are, are meaningful. So here we go. Psalm 50. It says, the mighty one, God the Lord. Now, I just already have to interrupt because in my studies, I thought it was so neat that they point out the psalmist opens this psalm using, referring to God sort of three different ways. There's, there's El, which is mighty one, uh, Elohim, which is God, and then the Lord or, or Yahweh. And I thought that's so neat because both El and Elohim are sort of more general terms, right, that you could refer to anyone about or or if you think back to ancient Israel, any pagan society, they, like, they all believed in God. Like, just like we all get the internet, we all, we all, like, world without internet, we couldn't even comprehend. Same way for them. There was no world without God. And they would use words like El as mighty one and Elohim as God to refer to, to any God. Sort of generic terms, okay? But the psalmist introduces this word of Yahweh, this personal name of God that God revealed to the Israelite people. And it's kind of this contrast between pagan gods, but the God. 
the one that has personally revealed himself to Israel. So the psalm kicks off kind of heavy. And here it says, it says, The mighty one God, the Lord, speaks and summons the earth. Now the NLT kind of goes a little bit further and says that he summons all of humanity is, is kind of the, the general gist there. It's not just the earth empty and devoid of people, but all of humanity is summoned. From the rising of the sun to where it sets. From Zion, perfect in beauty, God shines forth. Now, now Zion was, off, was a word that was often used to refer to as Jerusalem. Kind of like this idea of God's, God's holy city. And in that city, there was this idea of the holy hill where the temple was. And in the temple was the holy of holies where God's spirit dwelled. And so it's this idea from this, this city of God, this place where God dwells. He's summoning all of humanity. And here the psalmist says, he says, Our God comes and will not be silent. A fire devours before him, and around him a tempest rages. Now it's kind of neat what, this, what the psalmist is doing here. He's actually using language to draw people's attention back to Mount Sinai. Long time prior to this psalm being written, the people of Israel were led by a mighty hand of God out of Egypt. If you're familiar with kind of the Bible story, they're led out of Egypt and God brings them to a mountain. They're led by a man named Moses. And on this mountain, God shows up and God gives them the Ten Commandments. But it's not just a matter of like Moses wanders up on a sunny day and then comes down with Ten Commandments. Oh no, God shows up on this mountain. It's described as there being fire and trembling and the sound of trumpets. Like the kind of thing that would leave people shaking in their, in their boots at the presence that was on this mountain. And this is the kind of language that the psalmist is using wanted to invoke in us this idea of that sort of a setting. That God in all his splendor is showing up. Now I just have to take a little bit of an intermission here because for me as a Christian... When I think about God showing up in that sort of way, like showing up in all his glory, all his power, there's something that gets me really excited. Because it's God. And I mean, the psalmist said it there, he says, our God. So it's a sense of ownership. So he's really like, he's really clinging to this God. And he's saying, my God, the God, the one true God is showing up. And he's summoning the whole earth. And I go, man, this is awesome. This gets me excited because... How many of you know that like kind of being a Christian isn't that easy, right? Witnessing to your friends at work or seeing the world differently than the rest, than the rest of the world, trying to see things the way God does, it's not easy to live that out in in today's society. And part of me, there's a part of my heart that goes, yes, because when God shows up, vindication, right? It's like they're going to finally know, the world's going to know who this God is. And they're going to know how, how wrong they were in not choosing God. And it gets me really excited because it's kind of like, part of me is like, you know, we're here. We're kind of suffering it through. And like, we've been telling people forever about this God and they're not getting it. So, man, when he shows up, it'll be a different story. And it gets me excited. However, then I read the next verses. Listen to this. Verse 4 comes with a challenge. He summons the heavens above and the earth. So this is kind of like jury language. They're summoned as witnesses. That he may judge his people. Oh. And it's God saying, gather to me this consecrated people 
who made a covenant with me by sacrifice. And all of a sudden, it kind of takes the wind out of my sails a little bit because I realize God isn't showing up to vindicate me. God is showing up with his own purposes at hand. And the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for he is a God of justice. Ooh, now all of a sudden the mood gets a little bit heavier because we have God summoning all of humanity. All humanity is looking to God. And you know where God is looking? God is looking at me. God's looking at you. God's looking at his people. Whoa, this psalm just got real all of a sudden. It links back to also wedding talk. You know, Mount Sinai, you could almost sort of see that as sort of like the wedding ceremony for the Israelites as they're coming out. And yet God is, this psalm is meant to bring them back to that moment. Here we go, moving on, verse 4. He summons the heaven above and the earth that he may judge his people. Gather to me this consecrated people who have made a covenant with me by sacrifice and the heavens proclaim his righteousness, for he is a God of justice. And at the end of that, you'll have a little note that will lead you to a footnote, and it'll either say a Hebrew word that says salah, or, or a, like an interlude type thing. I looked into that a little bit for you. There, there, there's actually no like main consensus about what that actually means. It's in the Bible, but it's kind of thought that it has to do with, with music. Okay, so in my mind, for all intents and purposes, until you hear otherwise, think of it as like, as like a guitar solo. Okay? Okay? Ron DeLore slapping the bass, right? Like just going for it, okay? And so there's a bit of an interlude here where after the heaviness of the psalm, all of a sudden there's this moment where there's like, guys are like banging it out on a harp or however, whatever instrument they played, and they just kind of go for it, okay? It's kind of like... It's meant to let the first part of that verse really settle in. They don't want, they, you don't want to rush off into what it's about to say next. You want to, you want to marinate. You want to let that stir your soul. And nothing does that like bass, right? Here we go. So that brings us to the first end of our section. And so renewal, talking about covenant renewal, our first principle is this. Renewal begins with God. In a word, it begins with faith, our faith in our God. Renewal is about who God is and what God is doing. That is our starting place. So if you're in a place where you feel like you need renewal or there's a relationship in your life that needs some renewal or you have an attitude that needs a little bit of a renewal, your starting place is your faith in God. And as we're about to learn, his heart is fixed on wanting to bring about renewal. Section two, we jump into here. Verse two, or sorry, verse seven. Ah, see, we got the verses. We got verse versus the verse, right? It's lyrical, musical verse, and verses of the Bible. So I apologize about that. We'll call it section two. It's easier. Listen, my people, and I will speak. I will testify against you, Israel. I am God, your God. Basically, listen up. I got something to say. I bring no charges against you concerning your sacrifices or concerning your burnt offerings, which are ever before me. Hey, that was kind of, wasn't so bad, eh? Kind of all that build up to bring some criticism and then 
he kind of gives him a compliment, doesn't he? He says, you know what? I'm going to testify against you. I'm your God. But I bring no charges against you based on your sacrifices or your burnt offerings. Now, these things are foreign to us in this day and age. But in Israel's day and age, God had, at Mount Sinai, had set forth a way of, of, of covering over their sin so that they could be in his presence. And that meant burnt sacrifices. Okay? Unlucky goats and sheep and pigeons and such. Not that, not that fun. And yet, God isn't criticizing them about these things. These things that they would bring and offer as a forgiveness to have kind of covering over their sins. He's not critiquing them on them. In a sense, he's saying, I'm good with your technique. I'm good with what you're doing. You're doing the right things. I can't bring any charge against you with that. Before, but before we take too much pride in that compliment, we got to go on to what God says in verse 9. He says, I have no need of a bull from your stall or of goats from your pens. For every animal of the forest is mine and the cattle on a thousand hills. I know every bird in the mountains and the insect in the fields are mine. If I were hungry, I would not tell you, for the world is mine and all that is, all that is in it. Do I eat the flesh of bulls or drink the blood of goats? And the, the answer there is, is, is no. But here God is pointing out, before you get too excited about your technique, uh, it already all belonged to me. It was already all mine. So before you get too confident in your ability to do the right things, go through the right rituals, and atone for your own sin, um, you should consider that it all belonged to me already in the first place. Ooh. So what does that mean? God's saying, I don't need the technique that you've perfected. And he's saying, I'm not like other gods. Where in ancient Israel, pagan gods, it was believed that they actually consumed meat of, of sacrificed animals or even human sacrifices. Not, in, not so much in Israel's, but in other pagan religions, it was believed that the gods actually consumed these things. And then we kind of go into a chorus here with this section. Verse 14, it says, Sacrifice thank offerings to God. Fulfill your vows to the Most High. And call on me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you will honor me. Now, it's kind of interesting because now he refers back to thank offerings. And I was kind of challenged by this because he's saying he finds no issue with their burnt offerings and stuff. Says that's all good. Uh, tells them that he owns it all anyways, but then encourages them to give thanks offerings. And what I found out was really neat. I found out that these ideas of burnt offerings and the animal sacrifices, a lot of that was ritual. It was happening all the time. You came to the temple and you were a part of that. It was always ongoing, and they perfected it. But a thank offering in the Old Testament now, now that's something a little bit different. You'd still sacrifice like some pigeons or, or an animal with it, but it would be something that's voluntary. It's something that you're choosing to do. It's kind of like an extra, where you've witnessed God doing something in your life, and you just want to go and pay thanks to him. Hmm, a little harder to kind of fool or fake. Isn't it interesting that a thank offering, um, that it assumes 
a gift has been given already? I thought that was kind of neat. He talks about fulfilling your vows to the Most High. Personal appeal. Fulfilling promises that have been made to God. And then look at the vision that God has for the relationship here in verse 15. He loves to save and to get the credit. He loves to deliver us. And he loves to see us engaging in relationship with him and honoring him. In a word, I feel like this section is all about repentance. And that's our second principle, renewal principle for today. Is that renewal equals repentance. They go hand in hand. It's not about habit, but it's about heart. How do you know that renewal is actually taking place in your life? There'll be repentance. There'll be evidence of repentance going on. Before a relationship can get better, it needs somebody to say, I'm sorry, and there needs to be forgiveness. As in our relationship with other people, so too in our relationship with God. Moving on, section three. But to the wicked person, God says, what right have you to recite my laws or take my covenant on your lips? You see, these, these aren't people outside the covenant agreement. These are actually people inside the family of Israel, and yet they're referred to as being wicked. God goes on to say, you hate my instruction and cast my words behind you. It seems like they just have no regard for God. Cast my words behind you. It sounds a lot like garbage. And I, I can't help, when I think about garbage and litter, I think about uh, walking down from McDonald Street down to my house. Uh, there's McDonald and there's also high schools. Not saying it's all high school kids, but that street is called McDonald Street because there's just McDonald's litter all along that street. It's just, you know, people, you know, eat and just cast it behind you. And I, and I think about that. What this psalm is saying is that often we treat God's instruction just like that. We consume it and we, we toss it without any regard for it. And that is God's critique of the wicked here. Well, this is a bold claim, God. What's your, what's your proof? I mean, this is a court scene after all. Where's, where's, your, where's your proof of these allegations? Well, we head on into verses 18, 19, and 20. Here it is. God says, when you see a thief, you join with him. And referring back to the Ten Commandments and Mount Sinai, that's commandment eight. You throw your lot in with the adulterers. That's referencing commandment seven. You use your mouth for evil and harness your tongue for deceit. You sit and testify against your brother and slander your own mother's son. Commandment 9. God is emphasizing that he is God, he is spiritual, but he is also moral, that there is right and there is wrong. He goes on to say in verse 21, he says, When you did these things, I kept silent and you thought I was exactly like you. But now... I arraign you and I set my accusations before you. They have not been obedient because their hearts have not been in it. They took God's silence as encouragement to continue doing what they were doing. What does God's silence reveal in our lives? Who are we when God is silent? You know, it's God's, allow, uh, God's silence that allows us to be her real selves. 
When he is silent, what are we? Are we, are we waiting and trusting faith? Or do we get so busy and fill our lives with so many other voices that even if God was trying to get our attention, he'd have a hard time for all the other voices and busyness that he'd have to try and drown out? I'm sure parents here can relate in trying to get your kids' attention. You know, my kids are just active and busy. And when, you know, you're calling them and calling their name and they're just so focused on what they're doing that they're, they're not hearing at all. And I feel like sometimes it's the same in my relationship with God, that I'm so busy and I'm so distracted and my attention is elsewhere that he's calling and calling and calling and I'm just too distracted to hear. And then the final chorus and what wraps up this psalm is here. It says, Consider this, you who forget God, or I will tear you to pieces with no one to rescue you. 23, Those who sacrifice thank offerings honor me, And to the blameless, I will show my salvation. Sorry assumes a wrong in the same way that thanks assumes a gift. That those who recognize the gift and presence and abiding presence of God in their life and honor him, God makes blameless, and to those they will see his salvation. And we know as Christians that we're blameless only because of the work of Christ on the cross. And this is our third and final principle. Renewal enables us to walk in renewed obedience. From the heart, not just because of habit. Doing the right things. But not simply because we're instructed to, but from a place of our heart. We want to. Hence, renewal is also about helping us come back to the place where our hearts are aligned with God's and we actually want to obey him and want to do as he's instructed. Not because he's a cold, heartless judge, but because he's a loving, caring father who made a covenant with us. One of the most amazing things about this psalm is that though it's set up like a courtroom kind of drama, it's not issuing sentencing. It's all about bringing people back into relationship with God. Now, on, on this, there's, there's kind of two elements to this. On this, this psalm, there's the, the individual sort of personal application that we can all take away from this. I don't know about you, but uh, um, all this kind of, like the wedding talk and kind of getting ready for this, I, not by choice, but my, my wife was actually, her and the kids had gone to Calgary for uh, uh, 10 days, uh, Jenna's mom hadn't met our son yet, and so they went off and did that, and of course I was staying and, and working, and let me tell you that the house came very quickly to be a disaster. You know, dishes were piling up, you know, as soon as they left, the kids had had breakfast and there was cereal all over the floor, I didn't really get to it right away, and so by day three, I had ants to deal with, which was a lot, a lot of fun. So the rest of my week was like clearing out the kitchen, wiping the floors, putting out poison, and like just trying to deal with that, right? And I ate everything out of our fridge. Everything. There's nothing left. And because Jen took the car, I had no no way of going to get groceries. So I was literally like eating a can of beans and like cooking the last lonely frozen piece of sausage out of the deep freeze type idea. And just going like, man, I miss my wife. Like... 
this is rough. Like, I didn't mind it, like, for the first day, things were kind of okay, because we'd ordered pizza, and I had leftover pizza, but this is starting to get rough, and, like, dealing with ants, I'm like, huh, like, sweeping floors and trying to, I'm alone, and I can't even manage a household, like, that's how bad it is. Anyways, and I felt like when Jenna came home, I was so excited, and, you know, the little bit of, all the cleaning that I'd done in the last days, the kids undone, undid in, like, literally 10 minutes, but I couldn't help but, but think that that was sort of, the, that was sort of the, a picture of renewal to me. That where I, trying to do it for so long, kind of, kind of on my own, and then when you're finally back engaged in relationship and just having the joy and pleasure of Jenna's company, man, things just start, things just seem to work. Renewal seems to just happen. And I'd like to encourage you on a, on a personal note that if, if you're here to, today and you're feeling like maybe you've gotten a little bit distant from God, you don't need a whole new God. Maybe you're here and, you know, your relationship with your, with your spouse is struggling a bit. You don't need a whole new spouse. You just need to experience renewal. And God beckons us to come to his side put our faith in him, deal with our sin, and walk in a renewed sense of obedience. I'm going to close just on one of the things I'm really excited about being involved here at Hillcrest is church renewal. Cue the mug. It's not something that has been started in this church with a sense of like it'll run its, you know, it'll go, we'll go through the course of church renewal for a year or two and then it's going to be forgotten. But that rather... Renewal is something that we all need on an ongoing basis. And I, I'm, I think our, our church is doing something right when corporately we set aside time to experience renewal together. And so as, as my parting words to you, I'd like to leave this as a bit of a resounding challenge that in the coming months, as you begin to hear about church renewal and those events, I want you to think about it's not just another fad, but it's actually about you experiencing renewal in your life, in your relationship with God, and then even corporately for us. I mean, what better place to, to be filled with a sense of vision about God and what he's up to than to come out to a prayer summit? To join your hearts and hands with, with other people in your congregation and lift up your prayer requests. Not going to lie, some of them are ridiculous. There are big needs in our community, you guys. But to petition God for those things. And then in months past, come back together and celebrate how God has fulfilled those prayers. How he's answered them. Amazing. We get a, we get a clear vision of, of what God is doing amongst us and together with us and through us. And it's exciting. It brings about a sense of renewal. And then set free. Set free is not something to be scared of or to shy away from. I mean... Uh, surgeons know that, you know, you can only prescribe kind of ointment for, for like kind of skin conditions for so long before if it's indicative of a deeper problem, you've got to go, you've got to go inside to fix something, right? If there's cancer, it's got, there has to be an operation for it to come out. You know, auto mechanics get it. If a car isn't working right, you know, you got to get under the hood to see what's wrong. And set free is kind of like that. It's time where we take time to come before God and say, God, whatever it is, Give us a look over, give us a tune-up, whatever needs to go, we're ready, we're willing to face. And then you don't have to do that alone either. Like we get to walk through that together as community. And also finally, the other element of church renewal at our church is hearing God seminar. 
man, where we come and we, we intensely focus for six weeks on how to hear God's voice. More importantly, just as importantly, how to walk those things out in obedience. And imagine with me if we as a congregation embark on a journey for a year, commit this year of, of leaning into renewal, that the things we're going to experience from God and allow God to speak to us are going to change us. And he's going to do great things uh, through you. I'm just going to close in prayer. If the, if the worship team would like to come on up and lead us in a, in a last song, I'd like to invite them to do that. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for who you are. We thank you that you are a God worth celebrating. We thank you that your word has a way of drawing us into your presence, affirming the things that you've done and the things that you're doing, and that these are things that, that are worth singing about, they're worth shouting about, they're worth celebrating about. Lord, I thank you that your heart for us is one of renewal. That if we're feeling lost or weary, man, we don't need to, we don't need to change anything. We just need to experience renewal. So Lord, like that rain that came last night, Lord, bringing water where water was sorely needed, Lord, would you come and rain over our lives and bring this, the renewal that we also desperately need. In Jesus' name, amen.